But before I tell you about my story, just as Simon finished explaining to you a little bit about what I do, he mentioned that I have a dog called Zaid, who we were just talking about. And I want to tell you the story about how Zaid came about. So, as Simon mentioned, I led a church in Scotland in Paisley. You can tell the accent was nowhere near on me. (laughs) But I led a church in Paisley, and I started that job in 2014. And I moved from Derbyshire, which is where I grew up, up to Scotland on my own to take on this church that had quite a few challenges. It was the first time I'd ever led a church before. And understandably, I was homesick and lonely and a little bit overwhelmed and daunted by this huge prospect of taking on this big job. So one day, I've always wanted a dog. It's always been something that I've wanted. But being single at the time, um, I just knew that actually I was working away too much and I was travelling too much to be able to have a dog. But the more I got to know my church in the first year, and with the support of my parents who still live in Derbyshire, they were like, Amy, if you really want a dog that's fine, we'll support you. But actually, I don't know if you know that church leaders don't get paid a lot at all. So I was a bit like, how am I ever going to be able to afford to have a dog? So basically, one night, and it was a particularly difficult day at work, I remember standing in the shower, and I said to God, and I prayed, and I was like, God, today has been a really, really hard day. I said, you either need to send me a husband so actually I can have some help and some companionship, or you need to send me a dog. (laughs) So so the next day, ladies, as God is my witness, I get a phone call from a couple who I used to mentor, who are now church leaders in the Anglican Church. And this, this man said to me, Amy, we've been praying and we'd like to give you some money for something you've always wanted. So my first reaction was, well, I can't buy a husband. So that probably means that I'm going to have to buy a dog. And what was amazing was I'd already thought about, you know, if I could have a dog, I'd want a Springer Spaniel. And I'd done some maths, like this is how much they cost from a pup. And this is how much my vaccinations would be, not mine, the dogs. And um, all, this would all be the kind of things that I'd need. And I worked out that I'd need about £600. So when this couple really, really kindly said, we want to give you some money for something you've always wanted, obviously in the right appropriate space of time, I then said, how much? Like, not straight away. (laughs) Oh, great, how much? Um, After, obviously, I was full of thanks. And, oh, no, really, you don't have to. You don't have to give me money. I then got to the okay time of saying how much. And they said, they said, 600 pounds. Isn't that an amazing story? And, and to conclude the story before I tell you a bit more about my wider story, um, Zaid, the word Zaid is a Hebrew name. And Zaid means, with God I have everything, or God is my abundance. So he was a choice for me, because at that time, even though life was still hard, I still felt quite lonely, I wasn't married at the time, and the job just felt really, really pressured and difficult. God has still sent me this bundle of energy and life that became Zaid. So he was a deliberate choice of name for me to say, okay, God, you didn't give me a husband, but you did give me a dog. And so when I pass and people say, because this thing about owning dogs, but you guys who own dogs, everyone knows your dog's name. They've got no idea what your name is. And so we'd be walking all the way through Scotland and all these people, oh, hello, Zaid, hello. And I'd be like, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm called Amy. But the greatest name about his, about his namesake is that people go, oh, Zaid, what a funny... What a funny name, what does that mean? So I'd then be able to tell the story. So, so yeah, that's a little bit about Zaid. But tonight, I do want to just share with you a little bit more about my story. But firstly, I want to also share with you about times that I've been stuck in my life. I'm pretty sure that every single one of us in this room have been stuck in one way or another, haven't we? Whether that be physically, whether that be emotionally or mentally, and whether that just be through the trials and the circumstances of life. We've probably all got stories, haven't we, about where we've got stuck. Well, let me share with you four crackers of a story, and I'm quite scared that this is being recorded because they're largely quite embarrassing, so, <laughs> you know, just promise me that this recording doesn't circulate too far. But I'll tell you the first one, there's four, they're quite quick. So my first one is um, a time when I got stuck in a pair of jeans. Yes, you heard that right. I got stuck in a pair of jeans, and to make the story even worse, I'd gone to next to decide to try on a pair of jeans. And I did the classic thing of balancing one leg and getting these jeans on in hope, thinking this could be a good pair. And then when I went to put on the other leg, basically I overbalanced and I fell out of the changing room on my sides, exposing my buttocks to the whole area of, of next. It was really, really embarrassing. So I tried to stand up, but the, the jeans were like these, they, they were tight. And so, as I tried to stand up, all dignity going out the window, I heard one of the next staff say, does she need first aid? (laughs) I was like, no, I don't need first aid. So, because I got so stuck in the jeans, I thought, there's nothing for it. I'm just going to have to crawl back into my changing room. Which, honestly, ladies, it was just this far, but it felt this far because it was just so humiliating. So, so that's the time I got stuck in jeans. Um, the second time we're stuck in traffic. Come on, all of us, yeah? We've all been stuck in traffic, but have you been stuck in traffic like I was? Because back in the day when I used to work for a charity that the children's and youth work around the country, we were based for a time in Bath, and there's that long stretch, isn't there, all the way along the M4. I was one junction away, and I did the classic rookie mistake of thinking, I can make it home before I need a pee. Don't, don't do it. You know, if the urge comes, just stop. So I, I obviously just kept going. When we got stuck in traffic, and actually, sadly, there was a, there was a bad traffic accident, but we were stuck for five hours. So I was on my own, stuck for five hours, needing a pee, just thinking, i have never have I prayed so much in my life. And I got chatting to a group of men, and these group of men were just going on a stag do. And so we just got chatting, and it was kind of amazing, because right there in the middle of the M4, people started sharing snacks, people started chatting to each other. This is not, this is a true story. There was a game of cricket the other side of the motorway. Like, I was like, this is so surreal. So I said to this guy, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, because I'm in the middle lane, it's stationary traffic. I thought, if I need to go to the toilet somewhere... What if, like, traffic starts again? So this guy, I remember him, he's called Max. And he said to me, right, Amy, like, we've got you back. Like, we promise you, we're all legit guys. He was like, do you trust me? And I was like, I've only just met you. (laughs) He was like, do you trust me? So I said, okay, yeah, I trust you. So he said, right, follow me. So we start walking, I kid you not, about half a mile down this motorway. I've left my car keys with some of the random guy that's part of the crew. And we start to head towards a National Express bus. 
As we get closer, I make eye contact with the guy who's driving the bus, and he's like, uh-uh. Because clearly, quite a few other people had chosen to say, now, blokes, they'll just go and pee anywhere, won't they? But us ladies, there's a bit of dignity. So, so all of a sudden, Max turned around to me and went, quick, Amy, act like you're pregnant. And I was like, how do you act like you're pregnant? I've never been pregnant before. So I just put my hand on my tummy like you're meant to be maternal. So I was just like this. And he knocked on the door of the bus and he said, it's my missus. She's pregnant and she really needs the toilet. He was completely lying. But I was like, I was that desperate by then. I thought, well, God will forgive me. So I still just kept pretending that I was pregnant. (laughs) Eventually, the bus driver just recognises, gosh, she's been stuck in traffic for so long. I'm going to help her out. He lets me on the bus all is safe. So, again, a funny story. But um, two more. Back in the day, and I think I was chatting to someone about this, he's in this room already, but uh, when I was in full-time youth ministry, we would take children away and young people on camps. And at the time, actually, I was really overweight, and that's part of my story. I was size 20 at my largest, and I had a battle with comfort eating, and I had a battle with turning to the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And it's a funny story, and it's a little bit embarrassing, but we'd taken all of these kids on like an outward bounds holiday, and there was like zip wires and canoeing and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm game for all of these things. And so they take this whole group of us up to the very top of a zip wire, and they're giving everyone a harness. And so they're like, oh, for this person you need a small, for this person you need a I'm still laughing now because it's so hilariously embarrassing. So it gets to me, and he went, Harry, can I get extra, extra large harness? I was like, I know, I was a bit mortified, but I thought, in your face, Harry, I'm just going to do this zip wire, I don't care. So the quite large harness came on, and I got down successfully, but then... I actually couldn't get out of the harness. And it did take a couple of us and a little bit of pulling to uh, finally get me there in the end. Shall I tell you one more story of me being stuck? Are you you enjoying me publicly humiliating myself? Good, good. (laughs) Again, you couldn't make this up, but this is my final story before I share a bit more with you about my life. But also before I share with you a bit more about my own decision to become a Christian and to want to follow Jesus. So a friend and I who lived in Derbyshire decided we wanted to go and see the sea one day. Our nearest seaside is probably about Skegness. So we decided one day, right, let's just go. But because traffic was so bad, fortunately, I was sorted with my bladder that day. (laughs) But because traffic was so bad, I just decided, actually, let's not go to the main, main beach, but let's try and discover another part of the coast. So we both went off on this adventure, kind of following our noses, trying to find the sea. And we pulled up at this car park and we had to climb a kind of big mound, you know, before you get to the sea. So we're really excited about dipping our feet in the sea, thinking this is going to be lovely. And when we got to the top of the hill, all of a sudden we realised that the sea was like miles away. And there was this like marshland just like everywhere. And Tanya went, oh, let's just give up. Let's just go and get some fish and chips and then call it a day. And I was like, no, I want to put my feet in the ocean. It's going to be fine. Come on. So we start walking this really, really long way to get to the sea. 
But as we're walking through this marshland and it's really kind of gloopy and sludgy and all of this kind of stuff, every now and again we got to a small ravine. So we'd started jumping over some of these ravines, some of these gaps and stuff, and it was going fine, it was going fine. But then we got someone that was just so far left and so far right, but also it was really, really deep. That um, we just thought, actually, I don't know if we can clear that. I don't know if we can keep going. So I thought, okay, I'll just do the classic run and jump. So I, I backtracked and I got to about here and I started running and I started running and I jumped and I cleared it. So I was like, brilliant. So I was this side and I was like, come on, Tanya, your turn next. So she was just like, no, I'm okay, you go, you go and see the sea. And I was like, no. You to see the sea as well. So I was like, come on, you can do it, you can do it. So she did a couple of runs and then she stopped. She did a bit more run and then she stopped. And then I saw she just got so distressed. And in the end, I looked down at the hole that was about, say, this high. And then I looked at her and I thought, it's just mud. It's just mud. Like, I can just wash my jeans after, I know. So, so I just thought, well, I'll just jump in. Like, what's the worst that can happen? So I just saw my friend in distress. So I jumped in. And as I jumped in, immediately, this, like, sludgy, sandy, kind of, like, gross water just went up to there. And it was really, really thick. And so I said, give me your hands, give me your hands. And as she jumped, I pulled her over and she got to the other side. But the weight of pulling her over then sunk me to here. And it was really, really kind of thick, kind of quicksand, like a mud situation. So Tanya starts panicking. So she starts screaming. She's like, you're going to die! I like, not helpful! You're going to die! You're going to die! I was like, I'm not going to die. Everything's going to be fine. We look around this deserted beach. There's no one at all. I said, you're going to need to go and get some help. So she runs off, help, help, to no one. There's like no one around whatsoever. Again, I shot up a bit of an arrow prayer because I do believe that sometimes when you pray, the Lord answers. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, two guys with two dogs just turn up. Tanya runs back again. She's like, my friend's going to die. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> so they assessed the situation, and I kind of think they looked at me with a bit of judgment, as if to say, what were you thinking? Like, why did you get stuck into this mess in the first place? And uh, eventually, after much talking to each other, they were like, well, the only way is to obviously um, pull her out. So they said, um, give me one hand each. So one hand is with this guy and one hand with this guy. And as they start to pull me out, we're thinking, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. And then we get to the way somewhere, we're getting there. And then I went, stop! And the two guys were like, what? I was like, my jeans are coming off. (laughs) They obviously wear the same jeans as the next story, just so you know. So I said, and just so you know, Simon, your battery's running low. That wasn't part of the story, but... So I said, come on, you need to let go of... Let me let go of one hand. So I let go of one hand and I started holding my jeans. But actually, it just didn't work. And the more they pulled, the more I was being sucked back. The more they pulled, the more I was being sucked back. And then just basically, both of the men, who thanked the Lord I've never met again to this day, just went... There's nothing for it. You're just going to have to give me the other hand. And I thought, yeah, you're right. There's nothing for it. So as they pulled me out, my jeans and one shoe are now somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> one shoe. So I had the embarrassment of having to walk back to the car. She went to a 24-hour Asda, ran in and got me some, like, joggers. And that was the end of my... 
Four stories of how I got stuck. <laughs> but, I mean, these are funny stories, they're embarrassing stories, but honestly, beyond being stuck in jeans, beyond being stuck in traffic, beyond being stuck in a harness and then being stuck in mud, there are things in my life that I've been stuck in. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about tonight was how I was stuck as a person, but then through Jesus, how I became unstuck. And there's a few parts of my story where I could see, a bit like those stories that I've shared, where it just felt like there was no way out. It felt embarrassing, it felt mortifying, it felt traumatic, it felt difficult. And probably like all of us, we wear our scars, don't we? All of us have our own stories about what it's like to feel stuck in any kind of level or way or capacity. And part of my life is, you know, I've been really privileged and blessed in many ways. Growing up in Derbyshire, in a cute, lovely village. Um, Grew up with my parents who really, really loved me. They were Christians. They went to the local church. But actually, life wasn't always easy for me. And there was a number of things that I was stuck in. So probably for me, one of the first things is I was stuck in education. So for me, school didn't come naturally for me. And actually, it wasn't until I became 21 that they worked out that I've got serious dyslexia. So for me, the school education system, I found deeply hard. And as a result of finding that hard, then as a byproduct, I also got stuck into bullying. And so in my first early kind of childhood memories, there's repeated stories of not being happy in school because actually nothing sunk in unless actually I was doing something like PA or something more physical. Um, And actually nothing sunk in from a relational point of view because I found myself stuck in people that were physically bullying me and mentally bullying me. So there were these situations of just being stuck in bullying or being stuck in education, etc. But then as I got into kind of like early teenage years, some stuff happened with my parents as well. You see, my mum, she's always been long-term disabled ever since I can remember. But actually, during my kind of time of being 10 or 11, mum needed repeated operations. And as a result of those repeated operations, I became a young carer for her. And whilst at one level that was fine, the thing that was an overriding narrative was that I was stuck in a responsibility that was way beyond my age and way beyond my capacity at the time. And as if that wasn't enough, kind of trying to help mum through her own challenges... Then, at about 14 years old, my dad had a severe mental health breakdown. And for about three years, he repeatedly tried to end his life. And then, sadly, it got to the point where he was what's called sectioned. And it's the where the police discern and decide that for the welfare of a person, they'd be better off staying in a psychiatric ward in a special hospital. So I had the care of my mum, I had the care of my dad, I had an education system that I was still battling and struggling with, and sadly there were still remnants of bullying behaviour and people that just didn't understand me, and that came out physically and it came out emotionally, etc, etc. So kind of stuck in this unkindness, stuck in this education, um, stuck in this kind of feeling of responsibility that was too hard for me to bear. And then all of that then led to being stuck in bad decisions and wrong choices. And I'm sure all of us have made, you know, bad decisions and wrong choices in life, especially if you had three banoffee pies tonight. But uh, I just had the one. But for me, some of these bad choices and decisions, and I alluded to one before when I was overweight, was because 
I just didn't know how to process some of the things that I'd got stuck in. So I turned to bad choices and decisions. And for one of them, it was finding comfort in food. For another, it was finding comfort drinking underage and then starting to smoke because everyone else was smoking. I entered into relationships that I shouldn't have done. And at the time, I didn't even have those kind of Christian principles, even though I'd been brought up with them to guide me. Because None of it made sense to me. There was a disconnect to hearing about this God who loves us and hearing about this God who's always there for us, but then feeling like I wasn't seeing it in reality because of these things that I was stuck in. So there were these bad decisions and there were these bad choices along the way. So I guess that leads me to all of the examples, the funny ones, but also the serious ones of me being stuck. And then, I guess, how did it get to a place of being unstuck? Now, the truth is about this part of the story. What I'm about to tell you is wonderful and life-changing for me. And I pray it's actually wonderful and life-changing for all of us. But actually, it doesn't mean to say what I'm about to tell you, that all of a sudden, life is rosy. Like, I still have a mum who's seriously disabled. I still have a dad who, thank God, is in a lot better mental health situation. But we always live with the remnant of what he had. I still live with being stuck in education and I struggle to learn and engage in the ways that I see my peers and my friends do. So just because the part that I'm about to tell you about how I became unstuck in many areas of my life is very true and very real to me, it doesn't mean to then say that some of those things are still a reality of life. I'm sure you do agree. We all have our struggles, don't we? We all have our pain. But I told you at the start of this story that my parents were Christians and they used to go to an event before my parents both got poorly to an annual event called Spring Harvest, which I wonder if some of you might have heard of. It's a big kind of Christian festival and you go and you get to go to Butlins and swim for the day and all of those kind of things and learn about God, go to sessions. Now the truth is there was no part of me that wanted to go. Because at that time, I was stuck in all these bad decisions, stuck in the over-responsibility of looking after my mum and dad, just stuck, stuck, stuck. And eventually, the church that my mum and dad went to reached out to me because I'd go every now and again, more to appease my parents than anything, said, Amy, I really think you should go. Now, hand on heart, the reason I went was because... I fancied a boy. (laughs) So I went because I found out that this boy was going to go to Spring Harvest. And I thought, well, you know, if nothing else, like, I'll get to go and flirt for a week. So I went to Spring Harvest. I was really naughty. I didn't go to any of the sessions that were put on for me. I'm ashamed to say as well that I abused that privilege with my youth workers and found people that were underage drinking. So I underage drunk, even at a Christian festival. And then eventually, halfway through the week, I was challenged, like lovingly challenged, and a bunch of the youth workers just said to me, come on, Amy, you know, what, what have you got to lose? Like, we're just asking you to come to a few sessions. Like, we know you're angry, we know that you're stuck in some of these decisions, like, we know life is tough, but why don't you just come and, and find out? So I thought to myself, okay, I will, I'll, I'll go and, and find out. So I went to a session on what I think is the fourth night. And on the fourth night, 
I can remember very, very clearly that the gentleman that was talking up on the platform started to talk about what we would call the gospel, or some of us would call the good news. And basically, he summarised the story of Christianity, and he summarised the story about how God loved and created us, and how he loved and created us, because actually when he said that he loved and created the world, he said it was good, but when he loved and created you and I, like men and women, he said we were very good. And he went on to talk about how this God of love loved us so much that in all of the things that we've been stuck in, and all of the things that have been done to us, or also we've maybe done to ourselves, that he loved and cared for us so much that he sent his son Jesus for us. So he talked through the story of Jesus who came to dwell here on earth. And he talked about the story of Jesus with all of the stories we'd know and be familiar of within the Christmas story and how he came as a babe, but he grew to do amazing miracles and he grew to relate with people that no one else wanted to relate with. He grew to spend time with people that no one else wanted to spend time with. He stood against oppression. He stood up for equality. He validated women. He saw people that were stuck and said, this is how I can help you to become unstuck. And the biggest way that he did that was by choosing to die for us. And as a Christian, I believe that the most vital component of his story, Jesus' story, who's a proven man of history, was when he decided to take those bad choices, those bad decisions, those things that I've been stuck in and the whole of mankind have been stuck in, to say, actually, I'll take them upon myself and I'll actually die on a cross for you. So this man is telling me this good news story, this gospel story, and I'm listening, I'm a bit captivated, and I remember some of it anyway because of kind of growing up in church circles. And he gets to the point of talking about how when Jesus died and he rose again, he left his presence with us, he left Holy Spirit with us so that we could experience freedom and so that we could experience joy. And as I listen to it all, He finally said, so I want to invite anyone who's here this evening, that if you want to ask for that God who created you, if you want to ask for Jesus who came to save you, if you want to ask for Holy Spirit who wants to fill your life and help you live a better way, you can do that tonight. And he said, and these words will never depart from my memory, he said, what have you got to lose by asking the God of the universe to make himself real to you? What have you got to lose by asking the God of the universe to make himself real to you? And I sat and I pondered on that question for a while. And I thought to myself, what have have I got to lose? But on one side, there was this rational, what have I got to lose? Why don't I just ask if the God of the universe can make himself real to me? But on the other side was this normality of being stuck. And dare I say, even feeling comfortable. Like comfortable in the fact that my life was stuck. Comfortable in the fact that I was turning to different and false things. (coughs) And knowing all of a sudden, if I said this question and something happened, what would happen to all of those other ways of how I was living in my life? So the third time the guy said the repeated sentence again, what have you got to lose by asking the God of the universe to come and make himself real to you? So there and then, I decided, and we'd all been asked to stand up at that point, but I decided just to close my eyes, and in my head, against all that confusion, and against all the story that I've told you therefore about my life up until that point, I just said these words, 
in my breath. And I just said, God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. As I said that, all of a sudden, I started to cry. Now, this is the crazy thing about my story, because you see, another thing I was stuck in was such a tough kind of resilience, because all these things that had happened in my life, like bullying and battling with school and battling with over-responsibility and all these kind of other things of making bad choices, it, it, it toughened me too much. I became almost too resilient and too stubborn. And the Amy of 18 years old, you hear now in this story, she didn't cry. And she definitely didn't like the fact that she was crying in front of the boy that she fancied, let alone everybody else. So out of my embarrassment and humiliation, I closed my eyes. And you know when you cry and you try and stop yourself from crying, but then it's even worse, isn't it? And then someone says the fatal words that says, it's okay, you'll be all right. And then that sets you off even more. And so I found myself crying and I just thought, I don't understand why I'm crying. But what I could understand was that this this cry was a good cry. Do you know what I mean when sometimes you say, oh, I needed that cry. I don't know, like we were talking about Call the Midwife earlier on, that sets me off. But I think what I'm trying to say was, it felt like a cry of something that was about to shift in my life. So I closed my eyes out of embarrassment and I felt my friend next to me, who also happens to be called Amy, um, come and hold my hand. And I thought, that's nice, she's like reassuring me and I tried to slow down my tears, but they wouldn't stop. And I tried to just continue to reason with myself, but I couldn't reason with myself. And I know now that God was just doing some stuff. He was unsticking me. He was allowing me to become unstuck in some of the things I've relied on, unstuck in some of my thinking, unstuck in some of my responsibility. And even in more of a lovely way, unstuck to recognise I was worthy to be loved, unstuck to recognise I was worthy to be forgiven, unstuck to recognise that someone like Jesus would care for me and have such a compassion for me that he'd choose to die for me on a cross. And all of this is going off in my head as I'm crying and thinking, but holding Amy's hand next to me. Eventually, after what feels like, I don't know, a lifetime, um, I stop crying and I turn round to her to thank her for holding my hand. And as I turn round, there is no one next to me. And in fact, there's no one to the right of me, there's no one in front of me, there's no one behind me. And friends, I know what I'm about to say. This sounds absolutely crazy off the wall. She's clearly had too much sugar. But my hand was, was like this. It was in a position like someone was holding my hand so, so tightly. And friends, I will argue until the day that the Lord takes me to heaven about how real this felt for me. It felt so, so, so real. And I was so shocked, and I was a little bit scared, that I was just like, what is going on? I could literally feel the pressure of someone holding my hand. I could feel like, you know, when you've held hands with someone for too long and your hand starts to get numb, it felt like that. And all of a sudden, just this light bulb moment just came onto me and I realised I was stood in the presence of God. And I realised that the God who I'd fought so far and so much to try and ignore, the God who I thought, it's your fault that I'm stuck and it's your fault that I'm in this situation, was all of a sudden saying, actually, I've always been here. And now you say, God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. Here I am. 
And friends, out of all the beautiful things that have happened in my life, dogs and marriages and bonoffy pie, this, this experience, man, it, it tops it all, friends. It tops it all because if we just dare, or whatever age and stage of life we're at, whether we think we know all about this God stuff or not, whether actually it feels like a disconnect, whether we feel stuck for your own stories and not my stories, if we just dare, if we just dare to say, if you're there, God, make yourself real in this situation, make yourself real in this relationship, make yourself real in my hardship, make yourself real in my job, make yourself real in my family, make yourself real in my pain, it might not happen the way it happened to me. You might not feel what I felt, but I do feel in my heart of hearts that this God that I believe and put my full trust and faith in came to give freedom. Mm. And that's ultimately part of the story of Jesus, but it's part of my story. And, you know, interestingly, just as I start to conclude and draw this to a close, you know, the Bible has loads to say about freedom, And there's this book in the Bible, in a book called Galatians, and it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And there's another one in a book called 2 Corinthians that says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there's another book that's called John, and John says, so if the son, and the son who he's talking about is Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then John goes on to say later in his book, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what is the truth? The truth is that this Jesus, this God, Holy Spirit's presence, who I felt touched my life that day, came to free me. But he didn't just come to free me. He came to free every single person in this room. He came to free the whole of this neighbourhood. He came to free the worst of the worst, the least of the least, the people that are elevated in high prominent positions and the people that probably, to our shame, we wouldn't think about looking at once, if not twice. This Jesus came to free us. So my story, friends, is about someone who was stuck and is now unstuck. Now... Do I still get stuck? Of course I do. But here's the thing. I was stuck for 18 years until I asked Jesus to come into my life. (coughs) Now if I get stuck, it's a temporary situation before all of a sudden my relationship with God makes me realise, what are you doing? (laughs) Go to your saviour. Go to your Jesus who wants to free and help you and love you and bless you. So... Is life still hard? Does life still have its challenges? Do sometimes we all still feel stuck in this room? Of course we do. That's the reality of the life and the world that we live in. But I would never, ever trade that moment of deciding to trust in Jesus and the freedom that he gave me. And that's my encouragement to all of you this evening. And for some of us in this room, we've already made that choice For some of us in this room, we've already got that lived out faith maybe where we're saying, yes, I had that moment a bit like you, Amy, or same but different. 
For some of us in this room, it might be almost a bit of a yes and no. We're like, I kind of want it, but I don't know if I fully got there. For some of us, it might just feel so far-fetched that actually we just think, that's not for us. But I do want to offer an invitation this evening. And it's the same invitation that was offered to me when I was 18 years old, which was just two weeks ago. You missed that joke. (laughs) God, if you are there, make yourself real to me. Even if you know that God is already real, that should be our daily prayer, friends. Make yourself real in our political situation. Make yourself real in these trying times of what we are facing as a country. Make yourself real in my family situation. Make yourself real in my fear and my anxiousness. Make yourself real where I feel lost and lonely. Make yourself real where I feel like I'm fighting the battle on my own. Surely we all need something of what God can offer at whatever age and stage of life we're in. So friends, I'd just like to encourage you, if you feel willing, just to close your eyes where you are, or you might just want to bow your head if you don't feel comfortable with closing your eyes. And I'm just going to lead us in a short prayer that kind of summarises my story. But then at the end of the prayer will be an opportunity for you to say, okay, God, I want you to be real in my life. I want you to be real in my situation. So let's just take a moment silence. Just pause. Think about what you've heard this evening. Don't dwell or think too much on my story. But I'd encourage you to dwell and think more on the story of God. This God who created you. This God who loves you. This God who, when he created the world, said that land and sea and moon and sun and and sky and clouds and animals were great and good. But when he created you, when he created woman and man, he said you are very good. He said you were very loved. And this story of this God who loves us so much that even though we got stuck, stuck in our own bad choices, stuck in bad choices that were made for us, stuck in situations that God would never want for us, stuck in all sorts of multiple reasons loved us so much that he sent a part of himself, Jesus, to dwell on earth, not just for the people then, 2,000 years ago, but for us here, right now, this evening. 2,000 years later, he wants to meet us in this church. Why? To say, I want to help you become unstuck. To love you, to have compassion on you, to grace you, to save you, to welcome you. And in all of that good news package, he leaves you with a gift. The gift of his presence. A word Emmanuel that means God with you.
Because we need God. Life is hard. So God, as I've shared some of my story this evening, and I've shared some of your story, we just pray that that would sink into us. I pray for every single lady here this evening and our our friends who have served us so beautifully this evening. I pray that we would dare to ask the same question wherever we are in our faith journey and say, God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. And I'm going to leave just a time of quiet for you to say that yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. You can do what I did and just say it in your head. God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. And in your head, you might want to repeat this prayer after me. And in your head, just say these words. Father God, I thank you that you love and you created me. Jesus Christ, I thank you that you came to die for me. I thank you that you rose again so that I could be in relationship with you. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Help me to become free and unstuck in your love. And help me to live your way. Amen. So, if you said that prayer this evening, if you said it for like the 50th time, if you said it for the first time, if you said a little bit but you didn't agree with the rest, any of those things, I would really (coughs) encourage you to speak to Simon or speak to someone else who you trust here in this room. And I'd encourage you, like I encourage myself, Let's just keep going on this journey of continuing to live life unstuck, of continuing to live life in the freedom that God offers us and his story. And I hope to come and see you again, and I'm sure that next time I come and see you again, I'll probably have more embarrassing stories to share with you (laughs) that hopefully won't involve being losing my trousers, I suppose. (laughs) But thank you for listening. It's been a joy to be with you all. Thank you.